At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor John Jelenic. I work with uh, Pastor EJ as an executive pastor here at Woodside. And you may have been praying for me and not knowing who I was. I was the guy that had brain surgery on, in April. And I am here because of the great medical expertise and care of so many medical professionals due to your prayers and the grace and mercy of God. And it is a privilege to be here, to stand before you and to share with you some of my journey, but also a passage that I think is instrumental in our walk with the Lord. I want to thank those of you who have been praying for me, uh, thank the medical professionals, professionals, and also my life group, which reached out in so many ways to me and my family uh, during this time. I mean, people who come and trim your hedges, mow your lawn. Uh, There were even people up on my roof. You know, can you imagine? They didn't want me up on the roof, but uh, in case something might happen up there. But they came and they served with the love of Christ. And so I do encourage you to consider Uh, leading a life group because it gives you such unique opportunities to really manifest the love of Jesus to others. And so um, today I'd like to share with you a passage that can teach you how disciples can be confident that God both hears and answers our prayers. So we can go to him in confidence. You know, this idea that God is a God who hears is kind of a unique idea in that it's not one of the official titles of God like El Shaddai or El Elyon, titles by which if you've studied the names of God, you may have run across them. It doesn't appear in the Bible as an official name for God, but the concept of God as a God who hears when we pray does. God is not only a God who hears, he is a God who listens. You may recall in Genesis uh, that God told Hagar Sarah's servant, uh, whom she later despised, to name her son Ishmael. Ishmael in Hebrew is a combination of Shema and El. Uh, Shema is to hear and obey, and El is, so literally his name meant God hears or God listens. The name would be a reminder to Hagar for the whole life of her child that he heard Hagar's cry in the wilderness. You can find that story in Genesis 16. But the idea that God hears believers when they pray resonates throughout the Old Testament. For example, in Psalm 17, 6, the psalmist says with confidence, I have called on you, for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. And again, in Psalm 116, verse 2, because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. God bends his ear toward his people. They have frequent experience of him doing so, and they have more. They have God's personal assurance that whatever they ask according to his will, in the name of Jesus Christ, he will hear. Now, I know many believers, as a theologian and as a pastor, I know many believers who struggle with whether or not God hears them when they pray. As a pastor, I've counseled many people who feel their prayers kind of bounce off the ceiling. They have no assurance that God hears them when they pray. They wonder if he's so sovereign that he doesn't even bother to listen to them. For those who struggle and for those who doubt, 
but also for those who go boldly with confidence to the throne of grace to receive help and mercy in their time of need. This text is for you. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5? 1 John chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. And read with me what John says, because there are some great promises here that I've realized in my life in the past few months are really true and very helpful. John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. First of all, this is a message for people who trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. The first thing I'd like to point out is this promise is given in the context of the purpose of the book. If you've read the letter that John wrote, you might recall that John began this letter by telling his readers that he wanted them to have the same fellowship, the same agreement with the apostles and their testimony that the apostles enjoyed with God the Father and with his son Jesus. You know, prayer is meant to be fellowship, and this is where John expands upon what he means by fellowship with the Father. He wrote in 1 John 1.3, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, that is, with the apostles. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be made complete. I used to teach my students when I taught at seminary that what you believe about the nature of God is central to your prayer life. I believe that the scriptures teach that prayer is one means a sovereign God uses to give us what he wants. If you believe that God is all good, you know that whatever God gives is good. But if you go to God in prayer and you believe that sometimes God is good and sometimes God is not, you might believe that he has mixed motives. You might believe that his answers are sometimes bad. And sometimes that's how people relate to their prayer requests. I didn't get what I wanted from God. (laughs) Ever feel that way? That ever bounce off your soul? But remember what we often sing to one another and we often say to one another in the context of our fellowship in Jesus Christ. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. John writes, this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we ask according to his will. I want to point out, first of all, that God is not offering us a blank check. The qualification being laid down here in Scripture is being only one of several Scriptures that have limitations on it. We know from Jesus' words in Mark 12, 14, that prayer must be offered in faith, that is, believing. We know from John 14, 14 and the present text that prayer must be asked in the name of or in accordance with the character of Jesus. We can't expect to ask God for something that Jesus wouldn't endorse and that he would give it to us. 
Prayer, only those prayers that flow out of an obedient life, John tells us in 1 John 3, 2, and only those prayers made by those who will not use their blessings for the gratifications of their lusts and pleasures that they may spend it on themselves, according to James 4, 3. Only in those situations can we properly have confidence in the answer for our prayers. Now, I can imagine someone being here today and thinking, well, what's the point of praying if the only thing I can ask God is what God wanted to do for me anyway? If my prayers can only be answered if they are prayed according to his will, why bother praying in the first place? Well, first of all, let me say that's a good question. The answer touches on a fundamental mistake that we make about the purpose of prayer. In our spiritual immaturity, and sometimes even in our maturity, we often think of prayer to somehow change God and to get God where we want him to be. But that's not the point of prayer. Prayer truly does move the hand of God. But God's real purpose in calling us to pray is because prayer changes us and gets us where he wants us to be. In this sense, thy will be done, as Jesus prayed in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, is the essential prayer of the saint. My will be done is the essential demand of the sinner. God does not need us to pray in order to make him do anything or to get insights as to what's going on in our situation. God knows what we need before we ask. There is no creature, according to Hebrews 4.13, hidden from his sight, but all things are laid bare and open to the eyes of him. Literally, it says, to whom, we give a, to whom is our word. The idea is, to whom we must give an account. Should we ever be so arrogant as to think we know enough to give God any advice about our situation? <laughs> and yet, sometimes, that's how we approach God in prayer. There isn't a word on our tongue, according to Psalm 139.4, but God knows it before we speak it. He knows our prayers before we utter them. He knows our needs perfectly, but you can be sure God has never said in response to my prayers, oh, thank you so very much, John. I didn't realize that. <laughs> we go to God as the one who knows what we need before we ask. We go to God because God is good, and what God gives is good. Let me ask you a question. Uh, do you ever go to the hardware store for bananas? Well, why not? Well, generally speaking, unless they have some fruits up front for you to eat, there are no bananas in the hardware store. You go to the hardware store for tools, for advice on your building project. In the same way, we go to the God who knows what we need before we even ask it. We go to God because he is sovereign, because he is good. God commands us that he hears us when we pray according to his will. Knowing and praying according to the will of God is the key to getting God's attention. If you feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Perhaps you're not concerned enough about God's will and you're more concerned about your will. Now, I don't mean to imply that God is somehow inattentive when we pray. And we also have the promise, according to Ephesians, that when we pray amiss as believers, 
that God's spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He takes what we pray wrongly to the Father and he translates it into something that's right, that's good. Romans, Paul tells us in Romans that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. And so it's a matter of changing us toward God's will. So what John is saying is that our challenge is to discover what God wants us to do in our lives and in our circumstances and then pray according to his will. God commands us to pray because, according to his will because endeavoring to do it that way forces us to search out and discover his will and conform to it. So let's read 1 John 5, 13 to 15 again. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. I want to focus on that word, confidence. Are you confident when you pray? What would it be like if every time you prayed, you could pray as one who has confidence? Confidence that God accepted your prayer. Confidence in the substance of what you were praying for. Confidence in the outcome of your prayers. Well, when we walk in fellowship with Christ, according to verse 13, disciples or believers have confidence in God's acceptance of our prayers because we are in Jesus' care, and we are in Jesus' care for eternity. This is just what John said earlier in the book, in 1 John 3, 21 and 22. God not only hears us, but meets our request with his merciful goodness. If we are in Christ, we are the children of his Father, and he is inclined in love toward us, God is inclined in love toward us in answering our prayers just as he is inclined toward his own son in love. Whatever concerns us concerns him deeply. Our welfare is his great concern. The Bible invites us to bring everything to him in prayer. As Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5:17, casting our cares upon him because he cares for you. This gives assurance that we will get answers to our requests. Through our abiding relationship with Christ, because we walk with Christ, we will be able to pray more effectively because his words abide in us and they motivate the very prayers we pray. Now someone might say, but I thought I had to pray only according to his will. Now here John says, he hears us in everything we ask. How can that be? Which is it? Do I pray only according to his will or whatever I ask? I would suggest to you that it's both. A wonderful principle of his work in sanctifying us in Jesus is involved in this. It's not merely a New Testament concept. The psalmist enjoyed it. In Psalm 37.3 we read, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. 
Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Isn't that interesting? When we delight ourselves in the Lord, God promises to give us the desires of our heart. But think about it. Only if you are following the pattern of this psalm. That is, you trust in the Lord, you do good. You dwell in the place where you can feed on his faithfulness. You delight yourself in the Lord and you commit yourself to his ways. In that situation, what else would be the desires of your heart be but God's will instead of your own? Wouldn't your desires from the deepest core of your being be what he wants rather than what you will? Remember, we will many things. And sometimes the things we want for ourselves, they're not so good. <laughs> Just like an earthly father sometimes knows what's best for his children. We'll grant him that much, right? Dad, sometimes he gets it. Right? <laughs> a heavenly father who is all-knowing knows all things and knows what you need. And he always gives what is, say it, good. <laughs> God is good all the time. Finish the saying with me. All the time, God is good. If you believe that, it changes the way you pray. You see, we exist as human beings not to write our own story, but to be part of a grander story that God himself is authoring. So we have confidence as believers in God's acceptance of our prayers. But believers can also have confidence in God hearing our prayers when our main concern is his will. If our hearts are right with him, God not only gives us the things that we desire, God gives us those desires themselves. He changes our desires so that they conform increasingly to his desires. As Paul says in Philippians 2, 12 to 13, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God at work within you, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So, if God works in you to will and do for his good pleasure, then you may ask what you wish. Your heart's greatest desire will be for what he already wants. But you know we have struggles, right? When we struggle to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's because we don't really trust God's ability or God's will in that situation. When a loved one is struggling with a trial, an addiction, an illness, a relationship not going well, so on. When I'm talking to, about, to God about someone I love who is going through a trial that breaks my heart, it can be very difficult to pray. Not my will, but yours be done. Why? When my loved one is sick or going through a crisis, I want my will. <laughs> I don't necessarily want God's will, because I'm afraid that God cannot be trusted in that situation. But the ultimate act of trust is to pray, thy will be done in every circumstance of life. It's where every prayer starts in a way, and it's also where every prayer ends. After wrestling at times and in anguish, just as Jesus modeled for us in the garden, finally, as Jesus prayed, he said, Father, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me, the cup that led to our salvation, the cup of sufferings that Jesus drank down on our behalf. And how did he end the prayer? 
Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That is how Jesus prayed. Maybe we feel like C.S. Lewis when he wrote, we're not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We're just wondering how painful will the best be for us. But those who have confidence in God's acceptance of their prayers, who have confidence in the substance of their prayers that they are heard, John also teaches in verse 15 that we can have confidence in the outcome of our prayers because God gives only what is good. John uses a tense the aspect of the verb that indicates when he says we know we have the petitions we ask for. When he says that, he's using the tense that we, we have asked for as a present possession. Let me explain. It's not that we, we know we will have what we ask for, it's that we know we already have what we ask for. We have them right now. As soon as we ask God in prayer, we are assured of an answer. I struggled with this for a little bit. It sounded like name it and claim it, right? As soon as I ask God for something, I know he's going to give me what I want. Well, that depends. Is what you want in accord with his good, perfect, and acceptable will? Have you submitted yourself to that? No, what you ask for is you ask for God's will, knowing that God himself is good. So when you pray about that job situation, about that loved one's illness, about that unacceptable situation that you're called to endure at this point in time, know that faithful believers pray for God's will. And you already have what you ask for. If you pray for God's will, he will give it. And what God gives, unlike what your earthly father sometimes gave you, is always good, always acceptable, and always perfect. More than that, God always answers. He can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. And if our hearts are right with God, God will not only give us the things that we desire, but also the right desires to believe in in the first place. I want to talk to you a little bit about my experience going through this surgery. Um, a friend of mine says, well, you're up there with half your brain tied behind your back just to make it intelligible. Apparently, the surgeon didn't remove sarcasm from my personality. For those of you who are praying for that, it just wasn't God's will. <laughs> but I'm up here, as I say, by God's grace. And I want to relate to you how this passage relates to my experience of God. As I was going into the surgery, I had a sense of God's presence with me that eliminated all fears. The harder thing was the experience of watching my loved ones struggle with knowing they might not see me again. After all, as we said, when God shoots, he doesn't miss. And if he wanted to, he could have taken me. And I don't know how many days he'll give me, but I had a sense of perfect peace. And I attribute that to God in answer to your prayers. You asked, God acted. I experienced that. More than that, during the surgery, before my brain rebooted, 
And I use the word rebooted. Sometimes ask me, it's really a weird experience when your brain reboots. Um, some people thought my brain should have rebooted years ago. But uh, I, I put it that way because what was happening to me at that moment was I was surrounded by an assurance of the presence of God. And literally, it says in Hebrews 1.14, are not all angels ministering spirits sent, to serve, sent out by God to serve the elect? Right? Something embraced me during my surgery. And I don't know whether to attribute it to God himself or to one of his angels. And if you've never met an angel, you've not missed God's best. And I don't mean to generalize my experience to say, do what I did, you'll encounter an angel. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying God was visibly, tangibly, emotionally present with me in my trial in a way that I've never experienced before. And I have 45 years of following the Lord. 45 years of studying the Lord, studying his word. And when I came out from the surgery, when I awoke, I recognized my family that were in the room. (laughs) That didn't have to happen. Look at me. I can't tap dance or I would. (laughs) These things the Lord gave to me in answer to prayer. Had he taken me home, the blessing would have been just as sweet, harder on my family perhaps, but just as sweet. As Paul wrote, whether I live or die, uh, and as he wrote in Romans, whether we live or die, we are the Lord. None of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. Whether we live or die, we live to the Lord. We die to the Lord. But I had such assurance of God's presence in that, and I attribute that to your faithful prayers. So thank you. I really appreciate that. And I I mean it with genuineness. I really experienced the presence of God throughout this. And throughout my recovery. Um, As I said, sarcasm and cynicism are my two spiritual gifts. Um, I know you don't find those in scripture. But all of the nurses have appreciated and uh, technicians have appreciated the sarcastic shirts I wear to my radiation treatments. And this Tuesday, by God's grace, Lord willing, I'll go through my last radiation treatment. Because of your prayers, because of who God is, because he does exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. But there was one more lesson that I learned that I shared in my Instagram post about the nature of God. In these moments where God comes through in the way that I've just described, it seems as though God is somehow bigger. Um, But that would be a mistake in our thinking. In the Chronicles of Narnia series in the second book, Lucy, who is one of the princesses of Narnia, as they enter the wardrobe, for those of you who know the story, Uh, encounters Aslan for the first time, second time. If you see the movie, they do it really well. They show Aslan as a bigger Aslan than he was in the first movie. And Lucy, perceiving this as she sees Aslan, says, Aslan, you're bigger. He says, I am not. (laughs) He said, but every year that you grow older, you will find me bigger. You see, the change that God works out in answer to our prayers is really within us. God reveals himself. God doesn't need to grow to adapt to our situation. 
God is large enough to handle what you're going through right now and be very visibly present in your life. Now, there are two types of people listening to the sermon that I'm preaching right now. There are those who trust Jesus and need to know that they can go with bold confidence before the throne of grace to receive help, as the writer to the Hebrews says, in time of need. And there are those who do not yet trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If you have not yet trusted Jesus, after all that I have just related to you, what are you waiting for? (laughs) This Jesus, when you pray according to his will, as a believer in him, when your confidence in him answers your prayers. Earlier I asked the question, what would your prayer life be like if every time you went before God, you went with confidence. According to 1 John 5, 13 to 15, you can have that confidence when you pray. Isn't that a blessing? Shall we pray? Our Father God, thank you for your mercy and love extended toward us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you are a God who is in the heavens and yet who is concerned about the needs of his people here on earth. Father, however you find us at this moment, I pray for those who have not yet trusted you that they would open their hearts to the message of the gospel, that they would trust in the Lord who died, who did not withhold his own son to save them and set them free from their sins. For those of us who know you, Father, and have walked with you, help us to come before you with a confident boldness, knowing that we have what we ask for before we even ask, because we serve a God who is good all the time and what he gives is always good. Bless your people with your presence and your peace. And whether you call us to go through trials or happiness, Father, thank you for the assurance that you are always there hearing and acting for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.